Welcome to the Round Trip Death Podcast. In this show, we listen to first-hand accounts of people who have gone beyond the veil and return to talk about it. Today, we're going to be talking with Mike. Now, Mike was dead for 10 full minutes, and he had an experience that had an amazing amount of detail, and he remembers detail after detail after detail. This is kind of a long podcast compared to usual, and if you're not into all that detail, it's okay to fast forward through bits and pieces, but don't miss the ending. It does have a happy ending, even though it starts off in a little bit of a dark place. We have with us today, Mike Haley, and Mike, I met at the IONS conference recently, has a great story, and he has not had an opportunity to tell many people about this yet. And so, Mike, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Now, Mike has a big story. He's led such a great life. He has ridden motorcycles all over the world. What'd you say, 50 countries? I think 40, 40 to 50, yeah. And what was your long journey from Minnesota to where? Uh, The biggest one was from Minnesota to Ushuaia, Argentina, which is the southernmost city in the world that's accessible by road. It's just at the end of the bottom of Terra de Fuego, that little island off of uh, the southern tip of South America. That's amazing. Were you by yourself? I was by myself, but I met a guy in Colombia from um, England and he was doing the same ride and we rode most of South America together off and on you know a couple two or three days here and there we would skip or I'd stay longer somewhere or he would stay longer somewhere but but most of South America which was really nice because it gets pretty vast when you get into you know the the mountains of of Peru and Bolivia especially and then and then Patagonia that the last three four thousand miles um, where you're kind of crossing between Patagonia and Chile all the way down there's there's, it's, it's a pretty rough road down there. So what is it about you that wants to do these adventures? And I know you're going on another one here soon. Uh, I, you know, I, I grew up just outside of um, Des Moines, Iowa, in the country. And I got my first mini bike when I was five years old. And I rode that thing all day, every day, as, as, you know, just as, as far as I could go all the time. And it was my very first passion. And then... Um, when I was 10 years old, my parents got divorced and my mom got remarried when I was 12 and uh, to a professor who, who taught um, sociology at uh, um, university. And we went over, we moved over to Nijmegen, Holland. Um, and that, I was 13 years old at a, that time. And that was really impressionable to me as well. Um, you know, just for the first time, I felt like my eyes were open. I saw so much and learned so much and, and, um, made a big impression and, and kind of was the start of my travel bug, I guess, which, which I would say is my, my second passion. And then when I was 20, I um, was over in Europe and I, I rented a motorcycle in Greece and I rode a motorcycle in Greece. And that was the first time I kind of combined my two passions, um, you know, my, my lifelong passions. And I was in heaven. I mean, it was just the best thing that I've ever experienced. I thought this is fantastic. When you're on a motorcycle and you're, you know, you're, you're going across country and places that you've never been before and things you've seen, your, your, your senses are really heightened. And um, it's, uh, you just kind of become like a transient part of nature. And it's, 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 a, it's hard to describe the feeling, but for me, it's, um, it's what I love. Very cool. Well, let's fast forward 
to your near-death experience, which was about four years ago, and you were in Uganda. Why don't you just start there and tell us sort of ABCD what happened here? Yeah. So I was in Uganda, um, Uganda building a school at an orphanage, and I got malaria. Um, it took two years to build the school. And um, on the last trip, uh, which is about three months long, two, two and a half months long, I got malaria about two weeks before we, we finished. And I had never had malaria before. And um, it really hit me hard. I, I was, you know, was scared over there and it hit me hard, really knocked me out. But we cured it because we were able to figure out what it was pretty quickly. And uh, about two weeks later, I came back to the States and then I flew out to California uh, for work. And um, after I had been in California for about five days, uh, I, towards the later part of the fifth day, I kind of got a virus feel, kind of like a chill fever. And I thought, oh no, what's this? I hope I'm not getting sick again, you know? And then later that night, um, I decided not to go to dinner with a group of people that I was with for work. And uh, I just started getting worse and worse. And, and I woke up in the middle of the night and I couldn't breathe. I was having a real hard time breathing, breathing real heavy, like a, like a, like a slow pant, kind of like, <sighs> kind of like that. And I thought, what the heck is this? And so I, I woke up, I couldn't sleep because of that. And I went to the um, shower and I put a towel over my head and I tried to get the steam and and open up my sinuses by, by, by inhaling a bunch of steam from the hot water. And that worked for about a half hour uh, each time. And then I would go back to bed, be able to sleep for a half hour or so, wake up and do that again. I just did that repeatedly all night long, but it didn't get any better. So in the morning, I told my coworkers that I was going to go to a minute clinic or try and find a doctor or something to figure out what's going on with me. And I was in Montecito, California, at that, where we were staying um, in an Airbnb there. And there was a, uh, um, a little minute clinic that was attached to a pharmacy. I think it's Vaughn's Pharmacy or something. And so I called them up and, and they said, yeah, come on down. And I went down. And uh, by that time, my breathing was a little bit heavier, but still not, you know, panicking. And, um, but I was sweaty. I was hot, fever, you know, and I went in and there was a nurse there. And she said, okay, well, we'll get the doctor on TV. I thought, what do you mean, you know, <laughs> a doctor on TV? And she said, well, we don't have a doctor here at the clinic, but we have one on the screen that share, is shared between four or five clinics. And so I thought, oh, okay. And um, so the doctor came on the screen and I told him my symptoms and, and actually her, and I told her my symptoms and this, I was having a hard time breathing. And then I felt, you know, cold sweat, hot sweat all night long. And, and she said, well, it sounds like the flu, you know. Um, she said, we'll give you some Tamiflu, we'll prescribe you Tamiflu and uh, see how it goes. And, um, and then uh, um, you can just let us know after a day or two, you should be feeling a lot better. I said, okay, but I'm going, I'm just out here for work and I'm going to be flying back in a couple of days. Will it be okay to fly? And she said, yeah, you'll be, you'll be okay. You'll be okay. So I said, okay. And I was a little nervous. I wasn't feeling great about it. And, um, but I went to the pharmacy. It was connected there to the, to the minute clinic. And uh, they gave me some Tamiflu and I took a couple of the Tamiflu and I went out to the parking lot into my rental car and I was pretty tired because I didn't sleep much the night before. And I just kind of laid back and I set my head on the back of the, of the um, car seat and I just passed out, just, just fell asleep, knocked out. And I woke up about, I don't know, maybe 45 minutes later. I'm not quite sure how long it was, half hour, 45 minutes. 
And I woke up because I caught myself breathing. You know how like if you ever fall asleep on an airplane and you kind of you kind of choke on your own breath. And I caught myself doing that. <coughs> and I and I came to and, <sighs> and I was breathing real heavy like that. Like I like I couldn't get control of it at all. Like a dog panting in the middle of the summer, you know, without water. And I thought, no, no, this is bad. This is bad. And I went back into the minute clinic and the, saw the nurse there and said, I I don't think this is the flu. You know, I think it's something worse. And she said. You know, well, how's your breathing? And she could tell. She could see. I mean, I'm, uh, uh, I don't, I don't think, yeah. I, you know, like that and stuff. And she said, oh, she goes, I thought you were worse off than, than, than you were. She said, how's your chest? And I said, yeah, it feels like there's pins and needles and like a mountain's laying on it, you know. And she said, we, you got to get to the emergency room. You can't mess around with this when you can't breathe. I said, okay, where's that? She said, it's up in Santa Barbara. I said, okay, how do I get there? And she goes, well, just get on the highway and go back up. And then I thought, well, I'll just Google it. So I, I put it on my Google. But all the while, I was, you know, I was panicking, like, <laughs> breathing like that. Yeah. And you're driving yourself, right? I'm driving myself, yeah. Uh, thinking back on it now, I mean, I should have called a, an ambulance, you know, for sure. Yeah. Um, but I drove myself up there. And I um, got to the emergency room entrance, and I, I couldn't run in because I, you know, just didn't have the air um, capacity to do that. And uh, so I, I walked in, I got myself kind of collected and I walked in, I'm breathing like that. And there was a big line in front of the reception. And I knew I was just like, man, I, I can't wait in this line, you know? So I just budged my way through the front of the line, went up to, to the to the reception person and said, you know, I, I can't breathe. I can't breathe. I need, I need help. I need to see a doctor. I need, you know, right away and stuff. And and they said, calm down, calm down, catch your breath. I said, no, you don't understand. I, I can't, I don't, I can't breathe. I'm not uh, controlling this. I can't, I can't get control of my breath and stuff. And they said, well, what's your name? And I was able to spit out Mike, you know, and, and then what's your last name? I'm Haley, Haley, you know, I'm getting frustrated and stuff too. I, there was the door behind him. You could see where, where, you know, that was the entrance to the hospital. I wanted to just barge through it. And they said, okay, well, what's your insurance? And fill out this form. And I was just like, I can't, I can't fill out this form. You know, I was frustrated. I'm like, lady, I, I can't, I'm sorry. And um, she said, okay, okay, have a seat and we'll have somebody come out. And I thought, I gotta get back there now. And, um, but I went, I sat down and I looked over, I remember and it was pretty crowded. There was, like I said, there was a big line that I budged in front of and then in the uh, emergency room itself, there's an area to the left that probably had about 10 or 15 people in an area to the right that had about 20 people. It was really crowded. And I remember looking over to my right and there was a guy who had a cut on his leg and um, he had it bandaged up, you know, with like wrapping and stuff. And I could see the blood was coming out of his leg. Like a, it was just a homemade, you know, sort of um, a bandage deal. And I thought, oh, that guy, that, that looks painful. And then I saw, and then I looked up at his face and, and I saw the way he looked at me and I was, you know, I, I couldn't breathe at all. And he was, I could see the fear of death in his eyes looking at me. And then I, um, I just couldn't, I couldn't hardly sit up and stuff. And I, I put my elbow on my right knee and I put my arm on it and I put my, rested my forehead on my hand and um, to contain myself. And, and then I passed out again. And um, I don't know for how long, I think just a few minutes. And then I woke up again, and I'm, you know, I'm breathing real heavy and stuff. And then finally, the guy came out, respiratory um, guy came out and said, Mike Haley. And I was like, yes, yes, you know, and, and I was able to get myself up and walk over to him. And 
he kind of helped me walk back into the um, into the hospital area and he had a little room pretty close by and and uh, there was a wheelchair there, wheelchair in there and he sat me on the wheelchair and then he put oxygen on my face first thing right away you know gave me an oxygen mask and that helped um quite a bit actually um you know i could i could breathe through that and I, it helped my 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 sanity i was really scared um and then he started asking me questions and i started i was capable of you know i was coherent i guess so i should say not able to understand what he was asking and and um and i told him i started thinking about it and i thought well you know i just gave him the same symptoms that I, you know like last yesterday i had a hard time breathing and seemed to get worse through the night and then in the morning i could hardly breathe at all and i just drove myself to the emergency room and this and that and and then i thought well i should probably tell him about the malaria too you know because it hadn't been, it had been about two months. I'd been back for two months. And so I told him I had malaria and he said, oh, okay. And that kind of caught his attention. And then he was asking me other questions. Did you get typhoid? You know, did you get yellow fever and things like that? And I said, no, just malaria. And he said, well, how about, how about tuberculosis? And I said, no, I didn't get, I never, no tuberculosis. And he said, well, were you ever exposed to it? And just as he asked me that, I remember one of the um, construction workers had sent me an email probably about four or five days prior saying from, from Uganda, one of, the, one of the workers telling me that he got tuberculosis. And I was like, Oh shoot. His name was John. And I was like, Oh shoot. You know? And, um, and so I told him, I said, well, no, I wasn't really around anybody that had it, but I, you know, a couple of days ago, one of the construction workers told me that he got it. And he said, okay, when was the last time you saw him? I said, two months ago. He said, okay, did he have it then? I said, no, I don't think so. He said, okay, um, okay, well, just hold on just a minute, you know. <laughs> and then I said, okay. And then he left and um, came back and, and said, okay, Mike, we're gonna we're gonna take you into the ICU now. Or we're gonna we're gonna intubate you. First, we're gonna put you on life support, and we're gonna intubate you. He said, but I have to, just as a formality from the hospital, I have to ask you for your permission in order to do that. And I said, Oh, yeah, absolutely, you have my permission. You know, I'm I'm 45 years old here. I'm not trying to die. You do whatever you have to do. Um, I, I knew that it was really bad. So, and I felt comfortable around him. And uh, so he said, okay, we're going to go ahead and do that then. And then he took me into, um, wheeled me into a room and, and uh, a couple doctors came in and, you know, introduced themselves and, and told me that, um, you know, Geraldine was his name, the, the respiratory therapist who first brought me in. And uh, they said, you know, he told us what's going on and, and we're going to go ahead and we're going to we're going to paralyze you. We're going to put you in a medically induced coma. And I thought, OK, what's that mean? I didn't know what it meant. You know, and he said, well, first, we're going to paralyze your body and then we'll sedate your brain. And, and I'm like, OK, you know, am I, I going to die? Am I, am I OK? Or you'll be fine. You'll be OK. You know, we got, we got good doctors here and you're in good hands. And I thought, OK, um, you know, I didn't really have much of a choice. I just kind of. From there on, um, I just answered everything with okay, you know, just yeah, okay. So that is so terrifying uh, up to this point. Do you have a diagnosis at this point? Is it tuberculosis? No, no diagnosis at this point. Okay. Um, not, not, not tuberculosis. And do you have family you're letting know what's going on, or do you just not have a chance to do anything? I had um, one person that I was there working with. I, I sent her a text. And because I told her, you know, told the group that I wasn't going to be working today. I was going to the emergency room. And so I sent her a text. Her name was Bobby. She's a good friend of mine. And I said, look, I'm, I'm driving myself to the emergency room. 
And then that was all I really had the chance to do. That was, that was, you know, when I left the minute clinic, minute clinic. And um, <clears throat> so that was it though. So then I told the doctor there though, and, and, and Geraldine and then the anesthesiologist and everybody I said, well, will you call my dad, you know, call my dad. And um, gave him my phone number and stuff. And then I said, also my friend, Bobby, I have a friend who I'm out here with, you know, I'm from Iowa, I don't know anybody. And, and it, it was really scary being in a strange place and not knowing anyone. And, and knowing that I was that close to, to death, really. Um, and then they said, well, Bobby's already here. She's already come. And I was like, oh, you know, that made me feel relieved right away. So she had come from the text. She just left work and, and drove herself. So then they said, okay, we're going to wheel you into this other room. And, um, and uh, we're going to, the anesthesiologist and whatnot is going to come in there. And, and, um, and we're going to, you know, we're going to put you on life support. Geraldine asked, and he said, you gave him permission. I said, yeah, you have my permission. Yep, let's go ahead. That's fine. So they wheeled me out and I saw Bobby and I said, hey, Bobby, call my dad, you know, and um, she said, I already did, I already did. And uh, I could see the fear in her eyes too. And um, they wheeled me into another room. And then that's when the anesthesiologist came in. And I don't know, I think they did a shot in my spine. Um, I think it's how they do that. Honestly, I don't even really know how they paralyzed me and then sedated me and, and I was out. I was, I was knocked out. And, um, and then all of a sudden, I don't know how much time had gone by, but I was aware again. I, I was completely conscious and completely aware. And I could hear some doctors behind my, the back of my head and they were talking. They said, okay, now he was in West Africa and he got tuberculosis and, and how's his heart rate now? And I thought, well, no, I wasn't in West Africa. I was in East Africa. What are you talking about? And they didn't say anything. And then there were some down on my feet too. And they were saying, okay, now, did you say there was something wrong with his leg? My left leg, you know? And, and um, I said, what? No, there's nothing wrong with my leg. What are you guys talking about? And I realized, you know, they didn't answer me either. And I thought, what's going on? How come you guys aren't talking to me? And then I realized, that's when I realized that I was, you know, conscious while unconscious. I don't know. I was in, I was paralyzed and but I was aware and they didn't know it. And my mouth wasn't moving. I realized, you know, I wasn't moving my mouth when I was talking. I was just thinking in my head. And that, would be, that was terrible. That was terrifying, really. That was, that was really scary. Um, and I, uh, I just thought, uh-oh, they can't hear me. You know, I'm awake in here. I'm alive in here. What are they going to do? They can't hear me. No, no, don't do it. I'm awake, you know, and and I didn't know, honestly, I didn't know, I don't know very much about medical stuff. And, and this was before COVID and everything. It was before ventilators and intubation and all that. You know, I didn't, didn't know what any of that meant. And, but they told me, I remember um, the, the nurse, when I asked one of them, I said, am I going to be okay? And she said, yeah, we just need to get control of your abdomen, get control of your breathing. And so I thought, okay. So then when I'm in my, imprisoned in my body, when I'm awake in there, you know, I thought, oh, they're going to cut my stomach open. <laughs> they're going to cut. I didn't know what they were going to do. I just knew nothing. I was really scared. I started panicking. I started freaking out, but I couldn't do anything. And I just, it was just terrible. And so I just thought to myself, okay, just, just move your arm. If you move your arm, they'll know you're awake and they'll, they'll stop. They won't do anything. So I put all my clothes, you know, well, my eyes were already closed, but I put all my energy, all my attention into my arm. I thought, okay, if I can just move my arm just a little bit, someone will see it and they'll stop. They won't do anything. So I tried and I focused and focused and focused and I just, nothing, I couldn't move my arm. And I thought, okay, if you can just move your finger, just move your fingertips. I'm talking to myself. 
Just move your fingertip just a tiny little bit and they'll know, someone will see it, they'll know, they'll know not to do anything. And I put all my energy into my finger, trying to move my fingertip and I just couldn't move it, couldn't move it at all. And I was really scared now. And I started feeling like I was just, you know, helpless really is what I felt. I felt helpless. And um, I remember I was started saying to myself, okay, no, you know, no, if this is what you meant by asking for my permission to have my permission to do this, I take it back. You don't have my permission. I don't want to be in here. I don't want to do this. I think about 30 minutes or so had gone by would be my guess. I don't, this is terrible. I don't want to be in this. I don't want to do this. And then I said, I would rather be dead. And then that's the last thing I remember. And then it was lights out. And kind of a welcome lights out, it sounds like. Yeah, I mean, very much so. I suppose looking at it, looking back at it now, at the time I just went from straight fear, I'd rather be dead to nothing. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let people know, just ahead uh, a little bit here, that you ended up being in this medically induced coma for about 16 days, right? Yeah. Okay. 16 days. But your NDE experience came towards the first part of that. Why don't you jump to there? So then that was my last thought is I would rather be dead. And then I don't know how much time went by, um, but all of a sudden I'm conscious again and I'm aware and but I also knew instantly knew that I was aware in a different state of being than I had ever experienced before. Um, and I it did not feel familiar at all. I, I, I didn't know how to comprehend it. I was very curious as to, you know, what is this? What's going on? The first thing I noticed is that everything was dark. It was just completely dark and um, there was no space like it seemed just an infinite dark. And I, and I knew right away too, somehow that time was just not, it, it, just, just, it just wasn't there. And so that's why I think it was so hard for me to try to comprehend what was going on because I didn't have that um, guidance of time and, and space really to, that I'd always known. And um, my first thought was, you know, it's dark, but I can see. I thought, how can I see? And I thought that was really, really strange. And, and I could also see in all directions, three, 360 degrees, all, all around every direction. You know, I don't know if direction is the right word, but I, it just felt like I could see everything. And I looked down to see if I had a body. I thought, okay, well, do I have a body? And I looked down and I saw my arms and my chest uh, to my waist. I, I don't know if I could see my legs or not. Really. I, don't, I don't remember. And I lifted up. I thought, okay, well, okay, I, I got a body, you know, so I have something that I can identify with. And I lifted up my arms like this out in front of me. And I took my right arm and I went to put it on my left arm, kind of on like my, my, my bicep area. And my hand just went right through my arm. And I thought, what? What is that? What's going on? What, what, how, what is happening here? What is this? I didn't understand. I just was so confused. What is going on? And then I thought to myself, I'm like, am I dead? Is that, is that what this is? Am I dead? And then just as I said that was the first time I had this communication that was um, not spoken to me in words, but it was just like sort of imprinted into my brain. And it said, no, you're not dead. We don't die. 
And I thought, what? Who said that? Who said that? <laughs> you know, it's scared, it freaked me out. I'm like, what's going on? Who, who said that? Who said that? There's no one around. And then just as that happened, faster than I could really think, I entered into this group of scenarios that were all happening. It felt like they were all happening at the same time. They're really hard to talk about. It was really hard to understand at the time, but they were either like, it felt like I was either being offered a deal of some sort or I was being chased and being killed. Um, they were horrific. They were, they were all nightmarish. Um, and I was extremely scared. And uh, um, I didn't know how to comprehend them. And I just kept fighting and fighting. And Can you give us an example of one of those? Um, yeah, the very first, well, it felt like the first. The problem is that, that without time there, and they all happen at the same time, it's hard for me to understand, you know, which one came first or which one came second. That didn't really apply, you know, so I couldn't use my mind that way. But the very first was I was on a motorcycle, which I thought was peculiar. You know, I love riding motorcycles and, and I'm on a motorcycle and, I, and I'm heading really fast. It felt like I was riding on air. Um, didn't really see a road or anything, but I saw this pyramid right in front of me. And I'm going really fast, really fast. And I, and I saw this pyramid and I'm thinking, oh man, I'm going to. I'm going to crash into this thing. This is, this is going to be painful. This is going to hurt. Oh no. Oh no. And I, boom, and I, I crashed into this pyramid and uh, my bike fell down, uh, uh, down to the ground and, and I fell down and I thought I'm going to die. I'm going to die. And I splat, you know, fell on the ground. And as soon as I fell on the ground, I heard another voice say, run, run, go. And I'm like, who said that? Who's saying that? You know, and then I took off running and I was just being chased. And then, um, and then after that, some, some people came and said, come on, come on, let's go, let's go here, come here. And um, they took me underneath the pyramid and all of a sudden I'm in this line and they said, um, it was almost like a ladder, like a, a human ladder, people on top of your shoulders and another person, another person on top of your shoulders. And they said, when you get to the top, remember the person's word ahead of you and remember your word, or it's going to know you're a snitch. And I thought, snitch and know their word? What are you talking about? You know, none of it made any sense to me at all. Um, and so I, you know, just kind of went along with it, though, and was going up. And, and I got to the top where there was, I could see two or three people were on top of me, ahead of me. And and then uh, I thought, you know, I could feel bad energy. I could feel bad energy behind all of it, you know, everything right from right from the get go. And um, I thought, I got to get out of here. I got to get out of here. And so um, the person ahead of me said their word, and then I got to stop and I said their word and my word. And then I and then I saw some rafters over to my right, and I thought, okay. Well, actually, before I got to the top, I saw those rafters, and I sort of devised the plan. I'm like, I'm gonna jump on those rafters, and I'm gonna climb up out of here, and I'm gonna get out of this situation, you know. And so I got to the top, I said my word, their word, and I jumped up to the rafters and I just started climbing. And then um, all these other scenarios are going on at the same time, you know. Um, and I was, like I said before, I was being offered like deals in them. A lot of them were where I was either being offered a deal, but it was a deal that I didn't have to do anything for. It was like, do you want to own this? Or do you want to have this? Or do you want to have that? And I said no to all of them. I felt a bad, you know, they felt, they felt bad. 
Um, it's just something bad behind it. But it's funny because like I you know, thought to myself afterwards since I've been processing all this and stuff, um, there were deals that I probably would have taken, you know, in real life here. Yeah, but it was the feeling that you had that led you away from it. Yeah, exactly. And and I didn't understand the feeling I had, plus the this was all completely crazy to me. I was very aware. I was acutely aware of all that was going on and I couldn't think my way through it. I couldn't understand what was happening. When you say acutely aware, is that what separates this from a regular bad dream that maybe we have sometimes? Yeah, I think so. I mean, that and the fact that I, you know, remembered it or understood it all as it was going along all the way. And then from the second that I woke up until right now, I remember every detail of all of it. I can't tell you all the details because it would take a couple of days. Um, <laughs> okay. I've written out, I've written at least 600 pages or so, so far. I still have more to go. Um, but, uh, you know, and I look back at other memories and stuff and or dreams and memories of dreams. And, you know, maybe you remember a couple of seconds of one for a few minutes after I'm awake or whatnot, but nothing like this. Um, this feels like a tattoo on my mind or on your brain or something. You can't, you know, it's there all the time, really, whether you just decide to shut it off or not think about it. For the first two years, that was really hard. I'm in my fourth year now. It's still pretty hard. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna deny that. So did it get better? You started off that this was no fun. Did it get any better? It did get better. So after these scenarios, they were going on for a while. Um, and then, and they were all happening at the same time. And, and they were, that was made it really hard to understand what was going on. Re really, really hard to comprehend. And then they all sort of stopped. And there was one scenario that stuck out by itself. And this scenario was different than the others and that I was invited to it ahead of time um, and by a couple of people and they told me, you know, we've got a good deal for you. Um, it's, a, it's a great deal. You got to come to this guy's house. He's a big wig. And um, they told me there was some sort of art dealer or something. And I thought, okay. And I don't know why um, being invited and uh, it felt a little bit different than the others. They were just kind of put upon me. Um, and so I said, all right, I will. And then this scenario also was completely different because all the other ones stopped. And then my memory and the way that I experienced it and comprehended it and stuff was back to being linear again. I almost felt like there was space. I don't know, but definitely time. You know, it was this first, then that, then this, then that, then that. And um, that was different than all of these other scenarios um, prior to. And the fact that it was the only one that was going on by itself. And um, so they said, um, you know, it's a great deal to come to this. And there was other people involved too. The, all the other scenarios were just being offered to me, but this one had other people. And, uh, and, and go here, come to this guy's house and, and, um, and, and it's gonna be a really good deal. So I said, okay. So I go to this house, we go to this house and um, the house is, it's, a, it's like a, it's a mansion, it's a gorgeous house. That's a big multi-story, I don't know how many stories, but big mansion style house kind of like a rectangle, real big open space, really um, industrial, kind of an industrial, real um, sparsely decorated, but, but with really good taste. And I remember thinking that as I'm pulling up, um, I was riding a motorcycle again and uh, pulling up, wow, this person has really good taste. And I walk up to the front door and it's glass doors, big glass doors. And they, I reached out my hand out to open them up. And just as I did, the doors just opened on their own. And then I walked in 
and I walked in about 10 or 15 feet or so, and I could see the, the far wall um, was all glass. And then to my right was where I kind of went in and I turned to the right, and I could see that there was an overhang, like a balcony out behind me um, that you could see overlooking the main floor, and the ceiling was probably about 40, 50 feet or something like that. And I walked in and I took a right and went into kind of a living room space that has a sunken living room. It was like a, like a, like a foot sink down or something that maybe you'd see like in a 70s house or something, I don't know, sunken living room. And in that living room, there was a tree right in the middle of it. I thought, wow, that's cool, you know, a, a tree. I, I, actually, I wasn't sure if it was a real tree or if it was a, or if it was like a um, you know, metal sculpture of one, because I thought that's strange to have a tree in a house. And then over to the left of that, I saw like these chandeliers, like these big, oh, they're anywhere from like six feet to 12 feet or so, metal tubes of, they look like gigantic um, wind chimes that you would see like hanging out your front porch, but they were huge. They were, you know, probably a foot in circumference or so, and they were probably, you know, like six to 12 feet height and heights, different heights. And then there was some artwork and stuff around. Um, these were all really, cool looking and then there was this big spiral staircase. I kept going past the tree and there was this big spiral staircase. It wasn't like one of those little short spiral ones that are black and wire. It was like a real grandiose kind of like in you know, a one big swoop. And it went up to that mezzanine level, up to the balcony level. And I walked up the staircase and I took a right and then I took another right. And I walked down and there was an area about five or 10 feet it felt like um, and there was an area of the railing that was bowed out, um, uh, kind of bowed out and, and then straight again. And right where it was bowed out, there was an oval shaped um, table. And there were six seats at it. There was one at the, at the head of it, and there was two on the left side, and there was one directly across from the head, and there was two on the right side. And they were more like, um, wasn't really seat seats. They were kind of like cushions, big cushion things or something. I kind of describe it as um, something you might see like in Turkey if you go, you know, shopping for rugs or something in Turkey and they have you come in and, and uh, sit down and have some tea and stuff on the little pillow style kind of chairs or seats. And there was the one at the top, the head of the table was, was open. And uh, that was for me. The one on the two, directly to the left of that, there was a guy and then the one next to the guy, I don't know if it was a guy or a girl sitting there. And then the one directly across from me, I'm not sure if it was a guy or a girl sitting. And then I'm not sure if it was a guy or a girl sitting on the other side. And then right to the right of me was a girl. And I saw them. And as I'm walking up, I also saw that the table didn't have a base to it. I thought, that's really strange. How's that thing being supported? It doesn't have a base. And, um, but I just, I sat down. And the guy who was to my left was the one who had invited me to this deal. And, um, as I sat down, um, it's just kind of known, just kind of got that feeling, okay, let's get started. And, and it went around and started with that guy to my left um, asking if we wanted this deal. And I don't know what the deal was. Um, it didn't really get spoken about, but to the left of the table also was a chest. It was kind of like a trunk or like a chest and it was open and it was like this really glowing really bright, bright glowing yellow, it looked like precious metals or something in there. And then also, oh, I forgot, aside from that, about another five feet or so, you know, five or 10 feet to the left of that was this dude. It was a big guy. 
big, big guy, like really tall, like giant size tall. And he had a big hood on and you couldn't see his face or he wasn't looking at us or he couldn't see his face, but you could, the energy was, he felt like a bodyguard or something. It, it, it wasn't a good energy feeling from this guy at all. Um, and I thought that's strange. Well, all of this is strange. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. This is all unknown territory here. Yeah. Right. Totally. And so I'm just like, what, what is going on anyway? But the big goon guy was there, you know, it was a pretty dominant figure in the room. So um, anyway, so then I go and I sit down at my seat, which is kind of the head of this oval shaped table and, you know, kind of get this sort of let's get started message and so the guy to the left of me and it's it's just it's basically asking do you want this deal and so the guy to the left of me was first and he was the one who was kind of orchestrating the whole thing like i said he was the guy who invited me and he said yes and then the guy sitting next to him said yes and then the person that was directly across from me on the other end of the table said yes and then the person that was to the right um said yes and then the woman who was directly to my right also said yes and then it came to me and i thought about it for a second. And I just said, you know, no, I, I, don't, I don't want this. It doesn't feel good. And, and no, I don't want it. And um, you could sense kind of a bad feeling and energy kind of in the air. And the guy sitting next to the left of me is like, what are you talking about? Say yes, man, say yes. The guy to the left of me said to who's ever offering this deal, hey, he doesn't know what he's talking about. You know, uh, we'll be back. Um, he, he doesn't he doesn't understand and stuff we'll be back and he'll say yes it'll be fine and i remember looking at him thinking you know okay but i don't know you know just i don't want the steel it doesn't feel good and so um we left and then we came back again and the second time we came back they were outside waiting for me this guy to the, to the left of me and the, and the girl that was sitting to the right of me and they both kind of approached me and said hey you know this is a good deal say yes to this deal don't screw you know, <laughs> this up you know did you even know what the deal was? It's just take the deal. I didn't even know what the deal was, but I thought it was okay. this. I mean, I think it was this trunk, right? So it was just this this trunk or this treasure that was sitting. Yeah, there. and you still don't know what that is. But I don't know what that is, no. But I mean, if I were to guess, I would have thought at the time, I kind of was like, it seemed like gold, precious metal glowing. Yeah. And so um, they approached me outside and they said, hey, take this. This is a good deal. You know, this is a good deal. Don't mess around with this guy. He's the real deal. You don't know what you're dealing with. This is a good deal. Take this deal. So at that point, I realized, okay, well, all of us have to say yes in order for the other people to get it too. Um, so it was a group thing, you know, and so they were dependent upon my yes. And so we go back in and walk down and take a right and go up the staircase, come back, take a right, take another right. And there's the chair. The scenario is the same. The big goon is sitting over there about 10 feet or something that way. And the chest thing's there and the table's there. And these other three people are sitting. Again, I don't know if they were male or female or what. And then we sat down, the three of us. And, you know, same thing. Let's get started. And it starts with the guy to my left. And he says, you know, yes. And then it goes to the person next to him. And they say, yes. 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 And the girl to my right, yes. And then they all kind of look at me. And they're like, you know, kind of. Peer pressure. Peer pressure. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and um, I just said, no, you know, no, I'm not. I'm not feeling this. It doesn't feel good. I, I don't want it. I just, just no. Sorry. You know, I was kind of, I felt kind of bad, right? I was kind of like, sorry, you guys, but just, I just don't want this. And then uh, the guy that left me got real frustrated. He's like, you know, kind of, what are you doing? What are you doing? You know, kind of type thing. And then the goon 
the goon over there too kind of made like a movement sort of towards in our direction or something and 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 um you know pressure or bad energy towards me or whatnot and and then the guy to my left said hey hey sorry sorry he doesn't know what he's talking about he doesn't know what he's talking about you know we'll be back and he'll say yes next time we're going to explain to him more we'll be back and he'll say yes you know just just give us another chance give us another chance so through the whole thing again yeah so the, the whole thing again we have to come back again and this time this time we come back, they're mad. You know, they're, you got to say yes. This is a good deal. We invited you. You don't know what you're talking about. You know what you're, say yes to this thing, you know. I don't know. Okay, you know, and we go through the motions. We go through, we take a right, go up the staircase, come back around, sit there at the oval thing. The, the, the goons, you know, the same, same scenario. It's all set in place. And it goes around and he starts, he says yes. He says yes. Or, well, I don't know if it's a he or she next to him. The other one says yes, yes, yes. And the girl to my right says yes. And they're all looking at me. You know, the pressure's really on. And they all knew my answer before I said it. Um, and I'm just like, you know, nothing's changed. You know, it just doesn't feel like a good deal. I, I don't want it. No. And sorry, but no. You know, my answer's no. And then, um, then it got then it got really crazy. I mean, it was already crazy enough, but then it got really crazy. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, all the people that were, you know, around this table just, just vanished. They were just kind of just like lifted and just like vanished out of the place. And I'm thinking, what's going on? And then the tabletop just got swished out. You know, it's like a giant force just came and just, just ripped this stuff out of nowhere. And it's just me sitting here now. And then the goons over there. I'm like, oh, well, that's a big goon. You know, you can't just push that thing out of the way. And then just as I thought that, whoosh, the goon goes flying, you know. And I'm like, oh, man, what's going on? You know, I'm scared. I'm already scared. I've been scared for what felt like a long time. And I'm just like, what is this? What's going on? And then I, and then I kind of knew. I was like, all right, this is the thing that's been behind all the things, whatever this is. And, and it was starting to show itself. And, 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 and what it felt like um, was, so I'm up on the second level, you know, and <clears throat> everything's out of the way now. And I can kind of see over the, over the balcony of the mezzanine deal and looking down and I could see, it felt like, like a, um, I don't know, like a tornado or something starting to form. It's like this really chaotic wind, really chaotic imagery, really scary. And there was particles in it and stuff too, so that I could sort of see it. It was like turning black. It was growing. It was growing. It was coming up. And it was coming up in front of my face now. You know, that was good 10, 15 feet below. And then the ceiling was probably 50 feet. So this thing grew. This sort of like tornado just kind of like wind. I don't know. Um, with these particles, which made it sort of visible. Um, and it started to grow right in front of my face. Up over the, you know, from, from the bottom floor to the, to the ceiling. And it started to make like a shape, kind of like a hood, kind of like like a like a head or like a hood or something. And then it started to make like an asymmetrical kind of circle of dark, the particles or whatever started forming in one area and they started getting darker. And then it formed another one and it was kind of not exactly straight across, but it was you know kind of down a little bit right there and they sort of looked like circles. And then and I thought, what is this a face? You know, it's kind of like a face was starting to come about. And then it drew, or not drew, but it, then it kind of formed like a mouth. And I thought, what is going on, man? This is I was scared to death. I'm just like, this is insane. What is going on? And I knew, like I said before, I knew that this was now 
you know, whatever was behind all of the stuff that I had been through, which was a lot, um, a lot, a lot. And it, it's this face, like this face that's made out of like this particle stuff, and huge, it's like 40 feet tall, it's just looking at me. And then I could see it was struggling. It was there as a mouth, you know, like a, like I said, like a mouth kind of made out of this particle, and it was, it was start trying to talk to me. And this um, is where there was two times, and this was one of them, where it then felt like it was actual sound bearing sound that was going to talk. All the other sort of stuff when we're talking and stuff was just like, I don't know, telepathic, or you just kind of know it, you know, all of it. None of it was actual sound. And then this was like sound. I could see this thing, and it couldn't um, really, I could tell that it couldn't, it was hard for it to talk. And it's kind of, it's you know, kind of making like these moaning type noises. And it starts, you, you think, you know, you think you can say no to me, you know, but it basically was saying, you think you can say no to me, you have no idea, you have no idea who I am, you can't say no to me, you know what I mean, like, kind of like, you say no, and I'm just like, what is it saying, it was hard for me to comprehend what it was saying, but basically what it was saying was, you, you think you can say no to me, you can't say no to me, you have no idea who I am, you can't say no to me kind of type thing. And I'm scared. I mean, I'm scared. I am sitting here like, like a little kid. I felt like just scared out of my wits. I wanted to call for my mom, you know, I'm just like, mom, you know, I'm just scared to death. I'm 45 year old man thinking, what? This is the scariest thing I've ever been in my entire life. And um, at the same time, right, like right after that, I was also like, you know what? I just got this courage out of nowhere and it was kind of like I don't know if courage is the right word probably not the right word because I was so scared but it was like I was frustrated I just had all this stuff had been happening I didn't understand any of it I was just felt crazy I'm just like what is all this stuff I'm just I'm sick of it I'm, I'm frustrated with all this so then I was kind of like you know as I was scared to death I was also like you know what forget you you know fine fine you have control you know who are you then show me who you are i you know i'm just kind of like fine you know what i mean i kind of i don't know not courage isn't the right word confidence isn't the right word but more just like frustration and just like all right whatever you know what's going to happen now all the stuff i've been through can't get any worse and so i said that you know i was just like forget you man you know who are you then show me who you are and it didn't like that at all and so then um you know i could tell that my sort of standing up to it um it, it was did not like that at all um at all and then it started getting really crazy uh, more crazier than it already had been and you could just feel this the energy from, from down there where it was on the second floor and it just whoosh, it's kind of swirling around and stuff and it's real chaotic and it just whips up the stairs it comes up the staircase and it comes to me and just like takes me with it, just kind of whips me and whips me down the staircase, go down to the staircase and stuff and over towards the, the sunken living room and just and it throws me and it throws me into the tree, like into the tree, like it turns me into the tree. I know this sounds crazy, but I'm just like, I'm, a, I'm in the tree now and I'm like, what? You know, in my brain, I'm just, in my mind, I'm just like, what? What is going on? I'm, I'm a tree. Turn me into a tree. What? This is impossible. How is this? How is this happening? You know, and I, I had eyes. I could see, but 
everything else, I looked, I was this tree. I was, I was a tree. And it's swarming around, <laughs> making this crazy sound and noise and stuff. And and just just insane. And I'm just like, what is going, you know, now I'm, I'm terrified. I'm a, I'm a tree. You know, it does have control. It does have power over me. I have no, you know, now I'm really screwed. I have, you know, I just was just like, I just couldn't understand it. I just couldn't understand it. And then out of nowhere, I heard up on the second floor, I heard like a kids and, and, and things screaming around and stuff. It's all chaotic and the chaotic energy and like sound, not sound, but just, I don't know, craziness. And then I heard what sounded like a kid's voice. And this is now the second time um, I heard actual sound. And it sounded like a little kid's voice. And it was up in the, on the second floor back kind of up where we were. I think there was a, another room up there or whatever. And I'm like, what is that? And then this thing heard it too. And it goes flying up and it goes up the stairs. And, and now I'm down here. I'm still a tree. I'm just stuck inside this tree. It's not funny, but it is kind of funny when I think about it. And then it comes flying back down and it's, you know, pissed off and just chaotic energy coming back down and stuff. But then all of a sudden the kid comes walking down these stairs and the thing like totally went silent and just went still. And it was kind of like it was in a freeze frame or something. It was just over to the left by the glass. And I thought, this is ridiculous. You know, you're, you're this 40 foot, whatever you are, wind or particle darkness. I don't know. You know, it looked like a giant elephant in the room, but it was trying to be like freeze frame. It didn't want to be seen. It didn't want to be known that it was there. I thought, there's no way nothing could not know you're here, you know. But, and then this kid walks down this staircase and he's just, he's, I don't know, four or five, maybe six years old. And just as gently and as calmly, without a care in the world and just very humble and just, you know, just kind of walking down the stairs. And he walks down the stairs, he gets to the bottom and he walks over to me, me, the tree. And he reaches out and he touches me. And he just touches me, me, the tree. And then he walks and he kind of has this, you know, just a very calm face, you know, look on his face and, and um, like not bothered by anything at all. And then he walks behind me, the tree, and he whispers something. And now this is the third time that it's an actual, you know, sound. And I'm like, what? He whispers, and I thought, what, what did you say, what, what, you know, I'm, I'm go I feel like I'm going crazy, you know, all this time, I'm like, what did you say, what, what, and then he walked around in front of me, and looks back at me, and just with this, you know, careless kind of assuring, but also just very nonchalant sort of look to his face, and, and then he just walks up the steps, and walks away and as soon as he's out of sight up there the thing now that's been sitting over there silent just takes off and just it's totally you know freaking out again and swarming around and stuff and it comes over to me the tree it takes me out of the tree and it whips me into the staircase and it turns me into the staircase and i'm like what is this, this is insane now i'm a staircase and i can tell where my eyes were, like a, the steps were concrete and on the front of them and stuff. I had an eye, I took probably about seven or eight steps. And I'm like, this is, this is insane. I'm a, I'm a, I was a tree and now I'm a staircase. What, what's going on? It's just wishing around, wishing around and stuff. And I'm there for a while. And then 
it comes and takes me from the staircase and it tosses me, it turns me into those chimes, the big like chime things that were there, the big chandelier looking chime things. And then I'm that for a little while. And then it takes me from the chime things, whoops me up and takes me up the side of the stairs and then into the room, I think where the kid came from, but I'm not sure. And I'm not sure what I was turned into then because the door was shut and, um, you know, it was, it was, I couldn't visibly see what, what was behind the door there where I was all of a sudden found myself just looking at this kid, looking at this kid on the bed. And I couldn't tell if it was the same kid or not. And he looked happy. He was just kind of laying there. And I don't know if he was sleeping or if he was awake. He kind of looked happy. And I'm just looking at him. And, and I, I, I just didn't understand it at all. I'm just thinking, what's going on? You know, I'm just, now I'm looking at this kid. And, and then um, I was in there for a while. I don't know how long. And, and I'm looking down at this kid on this bed. And then it comes and takes me from that and it takes me right outside the door. And then the last thing it turns me into was music. And it turns me into music. And now I'm thinking, well, this is this is just ridiculous. I mean, it's all ridiculous, but this is insane. Now I have nothing at all to identify with. I'm just air, I'm just music. You know, there's, there's, you know, there's no tree, there's no body, there's no stair, there's no nothing to associate, identify with other than music. And was just done at that point. I was just like, I, 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 was, I could feel myself going, you know, I could feel myself just kind of giving up. I just was like, I'm just lost. I don't understand any of this. I don't know what's happening. And I just, I just, I don't want this anymore. I don't, I, I, you know, just, okay, you win or okay, you're, you have control, you know, whatever. I just, I give up. And then as soon as I did that, right when I did that, then, then I had what, I have since learned what most near-death experiences were. I just was immediately overwhelmed with this warmth and this pure love and just, you know, not a care in the world and nothing and completely unconditional love. And all of that went away, all of the craziness, all of the madness that I'd been through and stuff, it just all completely dropped. And I felt myself kind of being pulled kind of like a gravitational pull it felt like it and, and I could see there was sort of a light um, at the end of it at the top of it I could feel myself being pulled towards this light and it felt kind of like a more like a tube or like a funnel kind of type thing and I, like a slowly going around like this and I started seeing all these other little lights and and I think I was a light I'm not sure I couldn't really see myself or nothing but I saw all these little lights little glowing part of lights and we're all just kind of swirling around and going towards this big bright light it was getting brighter and brighter it was kind of like a uh kind of like a I don't know, like a yellowish or a bluish kind of tint to it it wasn't just pure white it was kind of like a glowing kind of light just felt like nothing I ever experienced before and um I started feeling like I started seeing all these little lights and we're all sort of like merging, sort of melding into this, this light and this, just this warmth. And it's, you know, I say light just because that's the only word that I have now that I can use to try and describe it. That was like the, you know, the, the, the it makes any sense, but the feeling was love. It was just this pure, pure, unconditional love 
and it felt like it felt like like I was becoming it's like I was becoming love like that's what like that's what it is it's like you you become love like it was a state like you just become it. like you become a part of it and then as that was happening it felt like I became part of everything. Like I started to feel like I knew everything, like I was everything, like I was a part of everything and all these other little lights and they were all melting. Now there was no, you couldn't, I couldn't see any of them and stuff. And then that was it. Like that's, there's no more that I can. And I have tried for four years, almost every day to put words to what that felt like after that. But the, the last thing that I can say that I think that, you know, it's just felt like you become love. It looks like you became, like you became love. I don't know if that makes any sense. Not like a... Yeah, it does. And I wish there were more adjectives to try to describe what that feels like. Yeah. But I think those that are listening, if you're really listening carefully, you, you get what Mike is saying here. Becoming part of love, meaning it's all engulfing, all encompassing. Yeah, all-encompassing, all-engulfing, like melding into, like, like if you were to take water, you know, I've tried to describe it to a friend of mine. I was like, well, if I took some water and I poured water out on a plate and then I took another little, and I made like a puddle and then took another little piece of water and dumped it out and then you kind of push that water together, it all becomes this one piece, you know what I mean? And um, it just was the most, I mean, I could have never imagined the feeling. It was just the most love I don't even think love is a strong enough word, you know, to be totally honest. It's like it needs its own word. It was so, you know, incredible. It was the best thing that's I've ever, that's ever happened. It's the best thing I've ever felt in my entire life and nothing even comes, you know, remotely close to it. And, um, and then I, I, you know, I don't know, all my thoughts, all, all that went away. I think any sort of personal identity went away. I wasn't thinking about all these crazy scenarios I'd just been in. I wasn't thinking anything about my life. I wasn't screaming out to my mom for help or, you know what I mean? I was, I think that I, I just felt love. Like I just became love, you know, I don't know, my psyche or my, my Mike Haley or that was just gone. There was just no thoughts of nothing. A lot of people talk to me about feeling a oneness that they haven't been able to describe very well. I think you described it pretty well right there without even using that term. Yeah, um, it felt yeah like a oneness or it felt like an, like an everything, like just all. It's like you, it felt like it just became everything. Like love is everything. Like that's the only thing that's really real. Um, you know, I mean, I'm adding that really real part now as I'm talking here in this body and with my normal human conscious and stuff. But at the time, it just felt like I was just everything. Like I just became everything. And everything was a love so strong that it needs its own word. That's a great way to put it. it needs its own word. Do you have any idea? And I don't, I don't want to pick this whole thing apart. There was a whole bunch to that and a lot of detail. But the child keeps coming up in my mind. Was Do you know who the child was or what it was symbolic of? Well, we'll get there in a minute. Um, okay. Because, because there's more. There's more to it. Okay. I wish it stopped right there. I honestly wish it stopped right yeah, there. Yeah, that was a good happy ending. Okay, go ahead to step two. So all of a sudden, that's the last, then, then I'm that. Then I, and, you know, there just is no, everything is lifted. Everything is completely gone there. I don't have any recollection of, of 
Mike Haley of anything. There's no thoughts, no nothing. And all of a sudden, I don't know how long I was there, maybe a second, maybe a minute. I died 10 minutes. I found out after I woke up, I died 10 minutes on the second day of the coma. Maybe it was 10 minutes. I don't really think that matters. Maybe I'm still there. I don't know. Um, but all of a sudden, out of nowhere, I'm back to being music again. And I'm like, what? And I'm looking and I see this fear, this thing, this evil fear, you know, whatever in front of me again, and I'm music. And I'm like, what? You know, no, 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 no. You know, I, I no, I don't want to, I don't want to go. I don't want to, I don't want to be here. I don't want to, you know, I was pissed. I mean, I was, I was confused again. I was like, what? No, I want to be there. I want to be, what's happening? No, no. And then I looking at this evil thing, you know, or this fear and whatever. And I'm just like, no, man, no. And then I was for the second time, the most prominent um, since the very beginning when I said, no, you're not dead. We don't die. I had another, um, you know, just kind of a wave of knowledge that was in my brain spoken to without words, however you describe it. And it said, this thing has no power over you, no control over you. All you have to do is believe that. And it was so crisp. It was so clear. It was so precise, you know, confident and precise. I'm just like, and, you know, it felt like it was coming from up where I had been now, kind of felt like it was up where it was spoken to me. And I, I was just kind of like, okay, you know, I was kind of like, really? That, that's it? You know, that's it? That's all I have to do? After all the stuff that I've been through, that's all I have to do? And I, and I kind of looked up and I, and I said, you know, I, I trust you based on what, where I just was. I knew it was coming from there, you know, or what had just taken me there or whatever. I knew that that was coming from there. So I'm like, oh, I trust you 100%, no doubt about it. Okay. Okay. But that's it. That's all I have to do. And then I said, are, you know, I'm like, are you, are you God? And then um, it didn't, I didn't get an answer. Didn't, didn't say anything. And then I kind of felt not dumb for asking, but just kind of like, okay, I don't, I don't, it doesn't matter. I trust you. I don't, I don't, I don't need to know, you know, but then, I, but then again, I was like, are you, are you God? <laughs> I said it again. It's not funny. And I didn't get an answer to her just, you know, and I said, I trust you. It doesn't matter. Okay. And so then I, then I did it. Then I look at this thing, this, scariest thing I've ever seen and and full of you know fear and whatever and I just said you know what you have no control over me you have no power over me you're nothing and I probably threw in some expletive curse words in there as well you know (laughs) and I I said you're you're nothing you have no control you have no power over me f off you know and forget you and get out you know and and then I believed it then I really and I believed it. And it said it, and then I believed it. Like I could feel myself believing it. And then as soon as I did that, gone, done. I wish everything completely ended, but it, it then I don't know. It felt like definitely stop. And it was a definite, you know, finish to, to all of that and stuff. Everything I had been through, um, all of the crazy scenarios at the beginning that were happening on top of each other or at the same time, then the main scenario that was felt linear again then the, the, the love, then, then the feeling of love and becoming love and, and then back to it. And then what I was, I mean, I feel like that's a message, you know, that's a message that I was given, which was, you know, this thing has no control. This thing has no power. All you have to do is believe that. I had, you know, I suppose associated with that thing with fear or with evil or, or whatnot. 
And then all that stopped after I did, after I did believe it, then it all stopped. And then it felt like some more time went on and then all of a sudden stuff started happening again. And I'm just like, no, what is going on? And then this was now, I really kind of call it three phases, sort of that first phase was all of them happened to each other on top of each other, then the one main scenario and then feeling that, becoming that love. And then the third set was different also. It had a little bit of, of both of them in it actually. It had a little bit of the first one where it was back into these scenarios. I was going back into scenarios and stuff. But it also felt like, you know, um, <clears throat> different. It didn't feel exactly like those. It felt a little bit different. And then I and then I kind of got a sense after after a while, those were going for a while, and then I got a sense of I was back in my body. I, I at some point I'm just like, oh. I'm, I'm back in a, in a hospital room. I could see in front of me glass. And I could see outside of that glass was like a nurse's station. Um, I could see kind of like there was a doctor or something that was coming in. And, and I was like, oh, I'm, you know, I could feel, I could tell that I was back in my body. I'm like, oh, thank God, I'm back in my body. I'm back in my body. But it felt like I was, you know, I'd be back in my body. I knew I was in a hospital setting and stuff, but I couldn't, I was, couldn't talk or anything. I'm, I'm still in a coma. And then I would be shot up into something, some crazy scenario that felt like sort of like an hallucination or, or something totally different than the other things, feelings. And then, um, and then at one point, and then I'm back in my body. And at one point, I heard this music over my shoulder, over my right shoulder, and it, it was just the most beautiful music I've ever heard. Really simple, just a simple tone, kind of like a, I don't know. I've been trying to find it. I haven't been able to, but. It, just real simple notes, simple tone, kind of sounded like a, like a, um, remember those old xylophones when you were a kid and you ting, 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 you hit on that little metal plates and you had two little plastic or two little wooden, you know, kind of a ting, 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 you know, sound like that. Just beautiful though. Not, I'm not a musician, um, but just beautiful and simple. And, and it was accompanied by three entities and they were feminine. I could tell that they were feminine and I knew that they came and I knew and they said, you know, that they were coming back. To, they, they were coming and they were saying, you can, co you can go back if you want. You can go back to that love. You can go to where you were. You can go back to that love. And I thought about it. I was like, oh, really? You know, I mean, yeah, and I was happy. I was happy about that. And But I thought about it for a minute. They said, you know, you can come back if you want to. And I didn't look back at them. I didn't turn my head. I knew, I knew that if I would have looked back and I would have seen, I knew, I knew then I wouldn't have had a choice. But they said, you can come back, you know, and I thought about it for a minute and I just was, and I wanted to so bad. But then I thought about my family and I thought about my mom who um, has kind of early onset dementia, you know, not like full dementia or anything, but like an early onset. And I just knew, I knew she wouldn't understand. I just knew she wouldn't understand. I, it was the hardest decision. I mean, it was really, it's really hard now. I'm thinking about it now because there's not a second of my entire life since that I wish I wasn't back there. That's the real truth, you know, and I said, I can't, you know, I'm sorry, but I just, I can't, you know, I just, I just can't. And they said, okay. And they said, it's going to be hard. I had a choice to go back to what I was shown or what I became and I didn't. And, um, you know, it's tough. That's still tough. Yeah. I imagine so. Wow. Is that it? Is there a part four? There's part, it still goes. There's a part four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. I mean, it keeps going. 
But that, well, I know we have to stop at some point, but then. Yeah. Bottom line is you're back. Yeah. And I knew I was in my body then and I started and then I saw doctors come in and stuff and I kind of, you know, I could just tell. And, and then finally it was 16 days um, that I was in a coma and uh, I, I found out afterward, you know, when I woke up and everything and I couldn't breathe and or I couldn't, they had, you know, put a trach in my mouth. And then after 14 days, I think they said they, they, they cut a hole in my neck and put a you know a trach in my throat right and um but i was aware then fully aware that i was back in my body i wasn't struggling in between i wasn't you know i was just like okay i'm in my body and a nurse came in a doctor and my dad came in and i was just like oh god i was just and i and i felt so much love i could feel it from all these nurses all these i felt so good I was so happy to be back in my body, and I, but I could see fright in their face, you know, like in my dad's face, kind of. I found out he had been next to me the entire time he came. I died at 10 o'clock on the second day. He got there at noon on the second day and stayed next to me, next to me the entire time, and it was his birthday. I woke up on his birthday, which I thought was pretty cool. That is very cool. And he and I saw him, and I just started tearing up, you know, I mean, my emotions my throat just turned into chalk i saw anybody everybody that's just just like you know i'm so happy to be back to what i understood but i was also you know like i said you you you, you feel that love you certainly don't want to leave that love you know that that love i mean i just knew that that was home i just knew that was home you know that's home anyway um but i uh um I saw my dad, I just, I wanted to tell my dad, you know, I wanted to tell him, but I couldn't talk because this thing was in my tube. So I was, I would just lip sync. I just talk, but not, no sound would come out, you know? And uh, I wanted to say, and I said to my dad, I'm like, dad, you know, dad, you know, I met God, you know, it's, it's love. And he couldn't understand what I was saying and just kind of like petting, started petting my arm. You'll be okay. You'll be okay. You're, you're okay now. You'll be back. You know? And I said, no, you don't understand. <laughs> I, mean, I'm, I know I'm okay. I'm just like, I know I'm okay. I'm back here. And, and I have something to tell you. This is important. Yeah. Yeah. And then after I woke up, I was in the um, ICU for another 10 days and then um, they got me up walking once and I walked about five steps, uh, five, 10 steps. And then um, they put me in the, uh, another room. They moved me out of the ICU. I was scared. I remember being scared to leave ICU. I said, no, I don't want to leave ICU. <laughs> it felt so good. And then they moved me into a lower room and I was there for another five days. And then they put me into a cottage rehab, which is a, a physical therapy rehab uh, station that's attached to the hospital there and I was there for 10 days and learned how to walk there and then after I learned how to walk they let me they let me go I had to go home and stay home with um, family because I you know I was down to 120 pounds I'm six foot one and um, I couldn't take care of myself and and uh, so then I went and stayed with my parents for a couple of months Um, but I was in California it was a total of 40 40 days it's a long time. Well, glad you've made, it appears you've made a complete full recovery from all that. Never heard what the diagnosis was. Yeah. So then after um, they told me that on the plane, they think on the plane ride out, uh, my immune system was really weak because of the malaria. And they think on the plane ride um, out to California that I got a virus, influenza B, or strain of influenza B. 
And because my immune system was weak, that caused pneumonia. And the pneumonia caused my lungs to fill up with water, which caused acute respiratory distress syndrome. And then also they found, and that went sepsis. So it went sepsis, you know, poison throughout your blood. And then they found MRSA um, inside my lungs. They did like a tea tree. They had to, uh, you know, get material from my lungs and, and petri or tea tree, whatever, and take it to labs. And there was a MRSA staph virus in there. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. You made it through all that. Yeah. What's the bottom line lesson for everybody out there who, has not had this kind of experience? Um, you know, I'm still processing the experience to be totally honest with you. It's been four years, but it feels like it was four minutes ago. For, you know, I mean, it's, but definitely the lessons that I was given, the first one were the ones that were, you know, spoken to me without being speaking is that we don't die. Um, the other one was that fear or evil or whatever has no control over us, no power over us. All we have to do is believe that. Um, the other ones that I've come up with on my own, um, you know, everything about life is a gift. This is an experience, the entire experience, I think, whether it's good or bad, or we interpret it to be good or bad, it's a gift to be here, to be in these bodies. And we came from i mean i knew that was home when i was in that when i became love i knew that was home so i know that i've been there before came down into this body and i know i'm going back so everything that happens when i'm in this body i now look at as a total gift even the stuff that i think is bad or that would be considered bad or or um you know not pleasant or whatnot it's all it's just to have the experiences is a gift that's beautiful Thank you so much for your time, Mike. And good luck processing the rest of this. I can tell it takes time. I think the writing that you're doing is probably a good way to help you process through it. And let's talk again sometime. If you have had a round-trip death experience, we would love to hear about it. Send an email to eric at roundtripdeath.com. And lastly, if you have found this program uplifting, if it's given you just a little more hope in the future, share it with a friend, hit that follow button, and take a few seconds to write us a review. Until next time, I wish you everything good that you're looking for in this life and the next. <laughs>